For all you lovers of the Beehive State, welcome to the Utah Fan Club Podcast, where we're spreading the buzz about why Utah is the bee's knees. This western state is quite the hub to learn more. Join with us at the Utah Fan Club. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsor, Wazi Tech, Utah's premier IT support company. They will help you with any of your IT needs. Go to www.wazitech.com. That's W-A-Z-I-T-E-C-H.com. Hello, Utah. Welcome to the Utah Fan Club. We are pumped to be with you today. Woo! Oh, shalom. My name is Carolyn. Anna. Hello, my name is Jeffrey Stedman. And I am doing a microphone test because that's what you do. Check it out now. Okay, so I feel like Jeffrey's yours is a little bit too loud. I'm, I'm not, that's not the first time I've heard I'm loud. <laughs> Shocking. Oh, sorry. If I was supposed to be serious with that, I apologize. No, you're fine. This is like my normal voice, <laughs> except when I get fired up, then I get a little loud. Hello, Utah. We are excited to introduce our guest, Jeffrey Stedman. He is the man, the myth, the legend of Utah tent camping. I'm Carolyn, the Orange Soul, and I've got my gal next to me. Anna, the security. We finally have security here at the fan club, so that's good. And I'm Steph, the ambassador, and we are so stoked to talk with Jeffrey because he took a year and went to a hundred different campgrounds, and he's here to talk to us about his favorite sites. Buckle up, friends. It's going to be awesome. I would love to know, like, what inspired you to do this endeavor. I mean, this is a really dynamic, unique experience to have and to spearhead that how would you go about doing that why did you go about doing that and do you feel like the results you had were successful yeah let's uh unpack that one step at a time so i wrote the book uh i researched the book in like 2005 or so and the way that it all came about honest to goodness was me answering an ad on craigslist and I just saw an ad. It was like, hey, we're looking for somebody to write this book. Uh, my publisher has this title now, I think in almost all 50 states. And they were just looking for somebody to write the Utah version of the best camping in Utah, best camping in, in all these different states that we do. And I, I was eager. I was real fired up to do it because I've done a, a lot of camping and a lot of hiking and love the outdoors in Utah. I was born and raised here. And so I... Uh, like jumped all over it, sent them an email, wrote a sample chapter, had like sample photos, sent the whole thing. They asked for none of that. I just sent it all to them. And uh, I think just sheer will, force of will, they just got back and like, fine, it seems like you're going to be the one to do this. And then I was off and running. And yeah, the the experience, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I started just online research and books and, you know, what I could find. And I had, you know, we have hundreds and hundreds of campsites. And uh, the process was just really a process of elimination of like, well, this is probably not, you know, this is probably too RV friendly. You wanted to focus on more like tent friendly places. And so uh, it just got down to a, a, a point where I had like, oh, 100 or so on the list and we wanted to whittle it to 50. And then I just hit the road and we did almost 10,000 miles in Utah that year, just driving around, checking out all these campgrounds. And some of them were great and exactly what I wanted. And those are the ones that appeared in the first version of the book. And some of them uh, didn't make the cut. And, you know, I guess, you know, you, you asked an interesting question. Uh, you know, is it the experience? What, what was it? What was I like? 
how did it turn out and, and kind of what I thought about that whole experience. Like I, what I tell people is, you know, I did almost 10,000 miles and I did tons of research and I talked to forest service and BLM and the on the ground staff. And, and the thing that I learned is that I have learned almost nothing. <laughs> so for every dirt road I went down, there's a hundred that I've never seen or been into. And for every campground and campsite and, and maybe not even official campground, but for every little nook and cranny of Utah's outdoors that I've seen, there's a thousand that I have no concept of. I mean, they are still discovering arches in Arches National Park for crying out loud. So the fact that I could do 10,000 miles is a good start, but I have so much more exploring to do out there. So that's kind of my the feeling that I have, the takeaway that I have. And, and in those you know, uh, almost 15 years now since I started researching, I've endeavored to go down those dirt roads and into those nooks and crannies, but I still have a long way to go. I love your humility because you could be like, oh yeah, did 10,000 miles in Utah, I'm the pro, but <laughs> but that you're like, oh, I've learned that I, there's so many things I have yet to explore. Yeah. So, okay, I have a question for you though. Yep. Because, so this 10,000 miles... Was it from like January to December or like, did you do winter camping? Yeah, a lot of it was the reason, most of the research that I did was like winter phase um, oh, really? because a lot of these campgrounds are seasonal. Uh -huh. um, and then I got into Southern Utah a little bit early on in the year, but generally like, I think I, I honestly, it's been a while. I don't remember. I think my final chapters were due like in labor day so i had like all i think it was like i think we, we we inked the deal sometime in late fall or maybe even winter of like 2004 or 5 and then i had that whole next year so i spent the first several months of the winter just because i knew i couldn't get out to some of these and then as soon as the warm weather came i was out in the southern utah and then as it thawed i sort of moved northward and checked things out and it would usually go like i would take off on a Thursday or Friday and be gone for a few days and then come home and hit it again in a couple of weeks and plan like, okay, I'm going to hit these 12 campgrounds this weekend. And it was just driving and taking photos and drawing maps and talking to people and then, you know, back for a couple of weeks. That's a lot of time. Do you have a job at that time? I, yeah, I did. As a matter of fact, I, um, I was self-employed at the time. I ran my own small business. And, uh, so I, I could, I could have, I could make that time if I got all my work done on like, uh, you know, by Thursday, then I was great. I was out Friday. If I didn't, then it just compressed my weekend, you know, and I only had like a day and a half to get everything done. And so it motivated me to get my work done in the week, um, and, you know, get all my clients where they want to be and then be able to like disappear for a couple of days. Uh, so I was real fortunate that way. I think there are plenty of people, outdoor authors who have regular nine to five full-time jobs and I don't know how, but. They get it done. That is good motivation. <laughs> That's a great motivation. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Nine to five, and then you're like, peace and blessings, everyone. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go enjoy the Utah love. Yeah, I was real fortunate to be in that place to do it, yeah. So who would you take with on your little excursions? Did you fly solo? Did you have co-pilots, group of friends? Yeah, I would say almost all the time it was just me. Because it is craziness. I mean, uh... If I didn't get a lot, if I didn't get all my work done quite in time, or if I just had a busy week, I wouldn't get away till late. And so, you know, it's like Friday or or Friday night, like six seven p.m. I'm like, great, I'm gonna drive to Monticello now. I mean, you get there at midnight, and you have functionally like a day to just go check all these things out and do a lot of miles. Like, 
not a lot of people want to sign up for that kind of a journey. There were a few trips where I took somebody with me where it was just like, hey, bonus, I'll pick up a chapter in the mm-hmm. book here and we can go camping this weekend. But by and large, yeah, it was just me like just driving and shouting along to tunes in the in the car. <laughs> I had an old truck about halfway through the book. So I had a truck that got terrible gas mileage and about halfway through the book. I, uh, of research, I sold it and got a truck that had much better mileage. But it had this CD player in it, which was an upgrade for me at the time. Like, CD player, let's do it. And I had one <laughs> CD, and I just played it honestly just over and over and over and over and over. And I uh, can still, like, quote every song. And, uh, like, the, the, the I can hear it in my head, and every time I listen to it, it reminds me of researching the book. Because it was a lot of just me in the truck, like, okay, now 100 more miles for this thing. So with the research, it sounds like you weren't like camping at every site necessarily, but you were going physically. Physically, yeah. Physically at every site. I would see like maybe two or three in a day and camp at the second or third one, you know. Still, that's a lot of camping. More than most people, because most people like their tents see maybe three or four times a summer or... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even not writing the book though, I try to camp. Uh, Last year was was okay. The year before that, I camped every weekend in the summer, just me and my dog. And so... But the same kind of thing where it's just me and my dog and I can grab her whenever. If I finish work at Friday afternoon at 3 or 4, I take off. If it's like 8 or 9 at night, no big deal. We take off and we set up a camp at midnight. I mean, that is a copious amount of camping. So what did you bring for food? I mean, you didn't obviously roast hot dogs every time. So what are some ideas that you could provide our listeners with? Yeah, well, there's some real... uh, I mean, it kind of goes both... Let me back up. So there's two schools of thought on this. And one is, like, live on whatever you can find on the road, um, you know, because there is so much great camping in camp, actual campgrounds. And the, one of the great things about camping in an actual campground, like I have in the book, as opposed to just backcountry camping, is that you're typically in an accessible area and you're near some amenities. And those, as, we, as I went through the book, I tried to sort of balance having those amenities and being in an actual established campground, not necessarily like showers at every campground, but like some kind of amenity, toilets or... You know, you're usually near civilization. I try to balance that with getting away from civilization. And so, you know, I think I have a good balance in these 50 campgrounds in the book. Um, But food is an integral part of that. And so as I did this, there were camp trips where I got one of those little um, propane-powered barbecues, you know, like the little hibachi Mm -hmm. grills. Those are amazing, right? You put that in a little box or whatever, just throw it in the back of the truck. And you can kind of put whatever you want on there and heat it up. Use it as an oven if you don't necessarily need to grill something, just to heat things up. Like, I love that thing. So uh, there's a, there was a lot of that. And then and then the other half of the time, look, look, if I'm on the road, if I'm passing by a grocery store, I love cold grocery store fried chicken. Like, if you get to the, oh, what's it called, in Loa in uh, central Utah. Royal Food Town, maybe? I think that may be it. Maybe that's the one in Kansas. Go Lola! <laughs> yeah! Low, if, you go to the, uh, if you go to the grocery store there, man, I always stopped at that place and got fried chicken, put it in the cooler. And, uh, you know, I've taken out-of-state friends, and they're not interested in cooking at all. And so we go and explore. We get into, the, into some really cool stuff. And on the way home, we stop at a restaurant. And there ain't nothing wrong with that. But, yeah, for me, the little hibachi was a trick. And um, I hate doing dishes, so any thing like you can cook oatmeal in the like little instant packet you know you just pour the water into the packet and mm-hmm. you don't have to do dishes there Brilliant. You, can, you can cook things in ziploc bags and boiling water i do that all the time that's more of a backpacking hack but i do that when i'm regular camping 
Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, crack a couple eggs into a Ziploc bag, seal it up, put it into a thing of boiling water for about eight, ten minutes, and you got yourself scrambled eggs. Mm, no dishes? No that dishes. isn't what I'm talking yeah. about. Sign this honey up. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey, you stated that you were looking for the cream of the tent crop while you were out on your adventures. So what was it that met that criteria? Yeah, some of it is is what I talked about, like, Finding stuff that had enough amenities and was like recognizable enough. So for example, there's a campground way out near the Deep Creek Range by Abapah, like almost uh, to the Nevada border called, uh, they just call it Triple C Campground or CCC, stands for Civilian Conservation Corps. It's like, it's a scratch in the ground. It's such a neat area. It's such a cool place, but it's hard to recommend like that versus like driving down the street and camping on the side of the road. So well, it's a neat area and I would love to send people there. It just didn't really rise to like, this is a real campground. On the other hand, um, none of the national parks that um, that I recommend their campgrounds are actually in the national park because they're just so just crowded and there's so many people there. And look, I've spent some great nights at campgrounds, but I want to be just a little, a little bit farther away from civilization. So... On the cover of the book, we say, your car camping guide to scenic beauty, the sounds of nature, and an escape from civilization. So, yeah, I think um, that was one of the criteria was let's be, um, let's be remote enough to feel like we're away from people, but close enough that it's still like we're sending people to something that's actually there and, and significant. We rate each of, the, um, each of the campgrounds in the book. And so there's a star rating for beauty, privacy, quiet, spaciousness, security, and cleanliness. So those were different things that we were looking for where something might be in an incredible place but just kind of fall short in the other categories, probably wouldn't make it, but if it makes a decent showing in those other ones, it, it, it may. And then um, I think also I just wanted to cover all parts of Utah. So in the book I break it down between Northern, Southern, and Western Utah. I think we could have two books. I would love to lobby to write both of those and have a guide to tent camping in Northern and Southern because it's so different and so unique. But um, those were kind of some of the initial things that had me down to that list of 100. And then from there, really, it, some of it was just a je ne sais quoi. You show up and you go, this is special. This has to be in the book. And it rates well on everything, but there's something there that just makes me need to tell people about it. The magic. Yeah, the <laughs> magic for sure. That made me want to sing, magic, magic, <laughs> magic. <laughs> so you went all throughout Utah. So are there campgrounds in all 29 of Utah's counties in your book? I did not break it down by county, and so I don't know if That's I. Okay, we'll I don't know if I. Yeah, I don't know if I've uh, looked at a county map, but I, I would probably. I would probably say no. I'm not sure we've hit every single county, just because there's some counties that are just they're just really blessed with amazing resources. So. <laughs> Uh, Some more than others. Name any names? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, around here, like obviously, like Summit and Duchesne are amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, down south, Washington County is pretty rad. I, I'm a huge fan of San Juan County. I do a lot of yeah. exploring down there. Yeah. This is just a personal question about Grand County. Um, did you do any camping at? I just went this weekend to Dead Horse Point State Park. Did you do any camping down there? Yes, I I did. I checked out that campground. That campground is is a re, it, you know it's all paved and there's a lot of RVs that yeah. roll up in there. So actually, this is an interesting 
point in the first edition of the book, um, there was a campground called... Oh, you're going to make me think about the horse thief, horse thief campground. So, you know, you take, you're going down, like you're going towards Moab if you came off I-70 mm-hmm. and you take the road up towards Canyonlands and Dead Horse Point and you pass a couple of campgrounds on that road. And horse thief, when I went to it, had sort of not been discovered yet. Mm-hmm. And I rolled up and there was like two people in this campground. Well, this was back before Moab was really discovered as much as yeah. I mean, it was, but compared to what it is now. Yeah, they've built a yeah. lot of new campgrounds in Moab since uh-huh. between the first edition and the second edition of the book, for sure. So, yeah, I used Horse Thief, and then um, there was a review on Amazon, and it was a guy, and he was like, I went to Horse Thief, and it was a bunch of RVs, and I was like, oh, it's been discovered. And so in the <laughs> second edition of the book, no, I listened for sure to the reviews, and in the second edition of the book, which just came out last year, uh, we actually substituted, got took Horse Thief out because it has been discovered. I think it, it's probably a little more thumping than we want. And we substituted in Cowboy Camp or Cowboy Campground, which is just a few miles down the road. And that one is one that I had looked at originally, and it was, it's one of those, it's like, it's just a scratch in the ground, there are some toilets there, and that's really it for amenities. But given the popularity, like you mentioned, the rising popularity of Moab, and how strict Moab BLM is about where you camp, I think it looks like a more attractive option these days. It is mostly just tents, and there's, I mean, I woke up to a view there that was just incredible. In fact, on the cover of the book, the, not the cover, which is, um, uh, at uh, Goblin Valley, but the upper left little inset, which is just a little picnic table, that's that was at Cowboy Camp. So um, yeah, Grand Grand County Grand County is tricky because you really do have to camp in a campground, and there are a bunch. There's another one there that we have just have made some changes. Just six months ago, I got a, a note from my editor, and he said somebody said there's some changes, and I went and I talked to the BLM and Moonflower Campground, which is magic, pure unadulterated canyon <laughs> glory but they, they changed it from a single campground to a, just a group campground so it used to have like i don't know six or eight individual sites and now it's a group campground now if nobody's there you can show up and still camp and it's but it's the one site that they have is closer to the road and the real magic that was like down in moonflower canyon you can't camp there anymore so we did a little bit of shuffling in the book um to kind of update that change. But um, yeah, Grand County, um, Uwa Lake is probably one of my favorite campgrounds. And that's about 45 minutes outside of Moab, mm-hmm. up in the mountains. And you, I, so I took some Boy Scouts. If you'll indulge me a story, I took some Boy Scouts a few <laughs> years ago down to Moab. And you just lay in the tent at night. It's like 110 during the day. You lay in the tent, maybe it drops below 90 by like 6 a.m. So you're just laying there sweating. And we, by like Wednesday, Thursday, were going out of our mind, out of like a Monday to Saturday camp. And so I was like, get in the car. We're going to Uwa Lake. And it's 45 minutes. And you go up in the LaSalle Mountains. And you get out. And it's like 65 degrees. There's this little pond and these fish rising and all these trees. And um, that was one that I had discovered originally and put in, in the book. And I'm, I talked to a ranger when I was researching second edition, and he's like, yeah, man, maybe 4th of July this place fills up. But other than that... So know. let's edit this out so we can just know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is going to be a... Uh, cheat out. Yeah. No, it's a really special place. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think about that. So last year we took our scouts back to Moab, and that's where we stayed the whole week. And it rains a lot, so mm-hmm. know that as well. But it beats laying in the tent next to some dude just sweating, you know. So speaking of tenting, if mm. you will, 
For those people who are new to camping, what are some key tricks of being, I guess, what some camping etiquette tricks so that people can have a more enjoyable time with their neighbors and be respectful? What are some things that you would suggest to have an enjoyable experience all around? Yeah, I think that I think that question actually has two parts, like some like pro tips and then some etiquette as well. So uh, if you can, I mean, if you're in a campground, you're just going to see people. And we rate, like I said, some of these, all these campgrounds we rate on privacy. So depending on where you are, you're just going to see your neighbors. So yeah, usually in an established campground and we try to go through rules in each of the chapters, there is like a quiet time. So observe the quiet time. Don't be an idiot. Um, I think um, observing just the camp rules, right? If it says dogs have to be on a leash, then keep your dog on a leash. You know, if you don't want to have your dog on a leash, don't camp in that campground. That's pretty simple. Um, Other etiquette, you know, um, don't walk through other people's campgrounds. And, you know, even when it's not quiet hours, like nobody wants to listen to your music. So keep your music down or just don't bring music. Uh, I think those are just some of the real basic things that are probably pretty obvious. But then pro tips, you know, if you're new to camping, if you haven't done a lot of it before, I think for sure start in a campground close to your place. If you're in the Salt Lake Valley, you're blessed with amazing opportunities. Most of the the Wasatch Front and Wasatch Back, you have campgrounds within 20 or 30 minutes of your house. So look, if something goes way wrong at midnight, just get in the car and drive home and try it again (laughs) some other time. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I do a lot of backpacking and like, I, I take my toothbrush and I cut the end of it off to save weight. And the opposite approach is what I recommend when you're car camping. Like you don't have to bring everything in the house, but like bring pillows and bring some extra blankets and bring a comfortable chair, bring the things that you're going to, you're going to take with you and use and enjoy. And you can go pare it down from there. And then the other thing that I say, I, I teach um, backcountry or um, uh, camp cooking classes. And so one of the things that I recommend to people is like go into your backyard and try it first. So if you're going to take your, especially your family out camping, like start in your backyard, run an extension cord with a heating blanket, you know, uh, <laughs> set it up in the back, try to cook in your backyard. Enjoy that first if you want to take a dry run. And it'll surprise you. You know, you get out there in the morning, you're like, great, we're going to make pancakes. And you go, oh, I'm glad I can walk inside and get a spatula right now. Um, those are the kind of things that you don't realize until you actually go to do it. And then when you do go out camping, you're like, oh, I got this. I did it in my house. No big deal. Everybody needs a practice run. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Especially if you have like a small family and it's a first time experience. Having the first time experience in your backyard where you can easily access what you need if you forget something genius yeah well, Jeffrey. what i've learned with kids is it's much more important that they have a good time than an authentic time so if camping to them means going out in the backyard and running around a tent for an hour and then going inside and going to bed they just had an amazing camping trip and then you can build off of that but if you're in tent like no we're gonna go and we're gonna set up a tent and we're not going home in the middle of the night they're going to be miserable and they're not going to want to go again and again so start small and build from there you know your kids you know what they may or may not run into out there. And so have a successful time and not like a full, hardcore, authentic time and build to the latter. Um, How did you even begin to start to find these places? Like, let's say I don't want to take your, I want to be the explorer. How did you start? 
Yeah, there's a couple of good websites, and I mentioned them, I think, in the back of the book. We have an appendix. Um, you know, you can go online. You can go to recreation.gov. Um, you can go to publiclands.org. I'm not sure if that one is still functioning. I don't have my computer in front of me. But there are, you know, the government has some sites for the government-run um, campgrounds. And then from there, it gets a little more tricky. You go to state parks, the Utah State Parks. Um, you can go to each individual forest service and their websites vary kind of greatly on how much information they have and how good that information is. But, you know, you can piece together some of those things and get a pretty good view of everything that's available. Um, and then there are some other really great books um, that just talk about camping in Utah or any state, really. And they'll just be like lists of like, here's this, you know, giant list. And some of them don't really have commentary, but it's just a, a, an, like an encyclopedia resource for you and then from there yeah it was like well what do I know what have I already seen what can I cross off the list what's too busy that I know of and we got down to a couple of hundred and then it was like really diving deep on trying to find online information and getting into aerial photography and getting into you know GPS stuff and 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 that got me to my hundred but you could have, you could do the very same thing and and I look anytime anytime you use the word best you're going to run into trouble, right? You, you see this in, in uh, the, my, uh, this, this uh, edition of the book is pretty new. I was very fortunate to have some really good reviews on Amazon, but there were some people who were like, best, schmest. Like, <laughs> hey, this is, you know, the criteria that I used, I tried to explain, but your best it could be totally different than my best. What you're after could be different than what I'm after. So I encourage people, you know, if you pick up the book, and get into a few of them and go, hey, I kind of agree with this dude, then great. And if you go, I kind of disagree with this dude, then I think it's still useful because then you know, oh, well, he tends to like these things and I tend to like the other kind of approach. And then you know. Do you get asked all the time, like, what tent you like, what sleeping bag? Like, so just give us, like, a rundown of what's your favorite stuff. Yeah, I mean, I could give... Hashtag like, not sponsored post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not an app. <laughs> Uh, genuinely, I mean, I could give you a ton of brand names and whatever. But what do you personally but, use? What's in your repertoire? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Like, I mean, I'll give you a couple of brands that I really like, but but then I'll probably give you more useful advice. Okay. So if, if, you're, if you're just starting camping, you don't want to make a huge investment. So honestly, like... There's a few places around town who rent equipment. You go to REI and rent tents and sleeping bags and stuff oh, like that. that. So try that first. Let, you know, let tr try out some of their stuff to see what you like and don't like. You know, you might think like, oh, I've heard mummy bags are great, and you try to sleep in a mummy bag one night and be like, I will never try that again. A few places around, I think last I checked, um, some of the universities even will rent their gear. I think if you're kind of into it, if you want like a, if you want a tent that you're gonna like end up passing on to your grandchildren. Um, the spring bar tents, you can't go wrong. So you see those, a lot of those, those like green and white ones all the Boy Scout troops use. I bought one of those, uh, and I mean, they're immortal. Like you got to take care of them, you know, but they're, they're pretty bomb proof. Um, but beyond that, I think the more useful advice is, yeah, first, if you're really not sure if you're into it, rent or borrow from a friend. People love to lend gear. I lend gear all the time. Um, and then if you don't want to spend a ton, you know, look in the off season and look for, things that fit the description of what you want rather than a particular brand. So if you're saying, like, I want a warm sleeping bag, like, just look at the temperature rating. And if you want it to just camp and not backpack, then look at the weight of the sleeping bag. You know, anything that's, like, under two pounds is great, but you're going to pay a lot for it. It's going to be a down bag, and there's some nice synthetic bags. So that's kind of the approach I take. Um, 
figure out what you need, how many people you think you're going to go with. You need a four-man tent. You, you know, look at look four-man tents that are highly reviewed. There's enough information online. And then just look in the off-season, wait for sales. There's uh, great, like, clearance websites. Steepandcheap.com, not a sponsor. <laughs> Steep and Cheap? Steep and Cheap, yeah. Okay. It's like Backcountry's Clearance or REI yeah. Outlet or any of the big names. Yeah, you know, there's amazing deals that you can pick up all the time. If you, there is a brand, um, it's decent stuff. It's like a, it's like a, it's, it's a consumer model stuff, right? It's not pro stuff, but Alps Mountaineering has been doing some interesting things with really affordable gear and it's like entry level good stuff, right? So it's not like stuff you buy at like a big box store, which I'll remain nameless, which is like terribly manufactured. It's pretty good stuff, but it's like entry level good stuff. And and we put our Boy Scouts in a lot of that kind of stuff. Does it rhyme with Schmallmart? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't I either. Weird. I've never heard that story either. Just made that up. I mean, if we have some, you know, Dutch oven peach cobbler. Yeah. I own a irresponsible amount of Dutch ovens. Irresponsible. Define yeah. irresponsible. Does what that would, have a quantity? How many do you? Th- how, what What do you think? What would be an irresponsible so this is like amount? People's shoes sometimes. How they have like? Oh my gosh! How many shoes you have Dutch ovens? So yeah, I'm not a ton, but like a, no person needs more than two, well, one or two Dutch ovens, and I own like four times that many. Do you have eight? I have Ten? like eight. I, have, I don't. I honestly don't know how many I have. I bought a couple last year, and I, I think we're up at like seven or eight, maybe. But it's fun. I take people up and we do like, I've done a Dutch oven progressive dinner in the canyon Ooh. where you have different campsites and you go to like your appetizer and your entree and your dessert Dutch oven meal. Yeah. My word. Yeah, that's a Party awesome. with Jeff. Wait, so what type of appetizer do you do in the Dutch oven? Uh, we did chicken satay, I think. But you can do anything. You can cook anything in a Dutch oven. That's a whole different show, but... I was just thinking nachos would be cool. I love nachos. Do you have a Dutch oven cooking book? I don't, I teach, like I said, I teach a camp cooking class and I have like a pamphlet that I give out to my students. Um, and we have some recipes in there and like we do a lasagna and a cobbler like in the class. And then at the end of the class when it's done, we eat the lasagna and the cobbler. But I cover like Dutch oven and campfire cooking and stovetop cooking and backpacking cooking. It's an intense class. Where can one find information about these classes? I, if you go to University of Utah Lifelong Learning, you can look up my name or just uh, look up the course names. It's Backcountry Car Camping and Camp Cooking, I think is all it's called. We'll have a link on the website to hook everyone up. Yeah, I teach them just, uh, I teach them in June, so they're coming up. Well, hot dog. Yeah. Forget the hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go see Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. We go to the park, for the cooking one, we go to the park and we start a fire and we cook over the campground and we cook in Dutch ovens and it's pretty fun. We make a uh, pie. I'm seeing yeah. zero cons. The pie, we usually just do like a chocolate pie. So you take um, you take a mason jar and you make just chocolate pudding in a mason jar, and then you take whipped cream and you make like shake your whipped cream and put that in the other one, and then take a graham cracker cookie crust. So super basic stuff, but people just don't think about taking those ingredients and putting them together and making a pie. But you can make a pie in a Dutch oven. I feel like camping sometimes the food tastes so much better because you're putting in that effort of. And you have to bring water to wash whatever dishes. You know, like, it's not as convenient. So it's like, wow, I waited an hour and a half for this meal, you know? So sometimes it... And, like, the environment, yeah. the fire, you hear the crackling of the wood and the embers. It's just, it's magic. Total magic. Yeah. It's real special. 
And I think there's a real life lesson, if we can wax poetic for just a moment. Yes. That when we strip away a lot of things around us that are easy and convenient and, you know, I'm, I work from home for my day job. And so I have a 24-hour kitchen right near me. And so I get impatient, you know, ugh, microwave it for two minutes. Like when we strip away all that stuff and then we're so connected with our food and like you said, with the environment and, and we had to work to earn it. It just means so much more, which is why I think I like camping, in essence, uh, as an activity. Because it's just me in the outdoors. And none of that other stuff is around. You know, gear is not there to make it happen. It's it's just a tool. And it sort of melts away, too. And it's just me and Mother Nature. Preach. I feel like snaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't know you were getting philosophy today, did you? No, I won't. Because I was actually going to ask you what, like... Why camping? You were drawn to that, but I also wanted so to ask about. So in two thousand five, that's when the the first book was published. Yeah, I think I researched in 05, and then I think it came out. Oh, two thousand seven, six or seven. Or I had it written down from your LinkedIn. Yeah, I should know this. Octo- October two thousand. No, where was it? June two thousand seven. Yeah, so we re- yeah we we inked the deal in 05, Research went on in 06, and editing was all winter 06, 07, and then we launched in that summer. So when this book came out that you did the research for, you did the writing, how was that? Were you just telling everyone like, look, this book? Oh, yeah, I'm insufferable now. Yeah, I have a <laughs> giant head about it. <laughs> it was really gratifying, guys. I got to be honest, like, um, if nothing else, when I die, you know, there'll be a name and a title next to the, the name. And, and uh, it was really, really cool to see. Um, it, it, for me, like I was going to camp no matter what. And so being able to put those things together and, and, and to be able to hopefully enable other people to go out and do something that I love so much to teach them maybe a little bit through my words or to point them in the right direction was hugely gratifying, hugely humbling, um, on, on, on a couple of different occasions, I've been camping with people and like, dude, I just got this camping book. You'd love it. And I'm like, what is it about? But like, it's like 50 campgrounds. And I'm like, what's it called? And they're like, and I'm like, you bought my book. And they didn't even know it. And so um, that, there's nothing better than that moment when, you know, you, you, you meet somebody and they have your book. And they're like, well, you're that guy who wrote that book. Uh, pretty cool. So after you completed your first version, I'm sure there was a lot of changes that were happening, but then you did publish a new one 10 years later. So did you do all that research? Like, in, like how long did it take you to do that research? And tell us more about that second edition. Yeah, that's a great question. And things did change. You know, within like a year, things had changed. And I, um, I tried to stay on top of it pretty, pretty well. You know, campgrounds close, new campgrounds open. Like we were saying, Moab has just opened a ton of new campgrounds um, just because of the demand there. And they have eliminated all backcountry camping around Moab. So you have to be in a, in a campground. Stuff like that. Rules change. Websites were a huge change. You know, when I first uh, wrote the book, not that the internet was super new, but like the websites were like fs.fed.gov. You know, I mean, they were just out of control. And they've tried to simplify some of that as, as people have become more savvy with the internet. 
Fees change all the time, and that's one of the things that's kind of a hot-button issue is a lot of the campgrounds are now administered by third-party contractors, and they kind of get to charge whatever they want. So, yeah, there's different entities that manage campgrounds, and, and um, so, yeah, a lot of the information changed. And then, you know, in the first edition, from the first to the second, we went to full color with photos, which was really cool, which, unfortunately, that decision wasn't made until sort of we were already done researching, and so we tried to pull photographs from, from from all over. I've contributed maybe 30 or 40% of the photos in the book, but third, yeah, third cool. edition, no, third edition is going to be 100% me. Ooh, third edition down the pipeline, Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody. yeah. Yeah, keep, keep looking out for that uh, in like another decade. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, and some of the campgrounds just, yeah, got discovered and, and got a little too popular. And um, I found maybe some better fits that... I think people will be even happier with. And so we subbed out maybe four chapters entirely and then revamped and updated every single one. And the editing process on the second edition was much, much thicker in the decade. There are a lot of reasons why. But I, just, we had, I, had a, I, had many, I had a lot more resources at my disposal. I had a dedicated map guy and a dedicated editor and a proofreader, and they, they really went over it well. So um, I feel really good about what's in it and all the information... But again, things change. So always do your due diligence before you go out. What would you say are your top five campgrounds you'd recommend for our listeners this summer? Oh, you know, I get this question and it hurts. Uh, <laughs> it's like being like a favorite child. That, that's exactly how I answer usually. Yeah, I go, yeah, who's your favorite kid? But like most parents, I do have a favorite kid. I, have, uh, fa- I mean, I don't, I, I don't have children myself, but I do have campgrounds and I do have some favorites. So... I mean, some of it is tied back to the actual writing of the book, and some of it just it stands on the merits of the campground itself. So one that sort of um, is, is probably one of the most civilized and most RV-friendly, but I just love so much, is uh, Fruita Campground in Capitol Reef. So it is the one exception that we do have. That, that campground is in the actual park, and it is the campground that I recommend. And it is really... You know, it's it's paved when you go in there, and there's a lot of RVs that back in, but you guys, it's so special. When it's the, gorgeous there. Yeah, you've been there. Mm-hmm. So when the pioneers came and settled in that part of the state along the Fremont River, it was so verdant and kind of its own little climate, so they planted orchards. And when the National Park Service took over that area, they decided to keep the orchards in operation. So today, there are apricot trees and apple trees and nut trees and all kinds of things that grow in the national park and they invite you to walk around any unlocked orchard and pick and eat as much fruit as you would like when it's in season i go in the spring when the apricot trees are in bloom and you have this amazing giant orange cliffs and the fremont rivers usually rushing by and it's muddy and and then these like pink blossoms and it's really surreal and really beautiful and the grass is just starting to green up so I, I rolled in there at like 9 a.m. I was on a huge trip, like maybe eight or ten campgrounds and like a four-day trip. And I rolled in and, and I, I just didn't know where I was. Like, what's going on? Where am I? This place is real? And the camp host is usually like this old couple. And they were like, we love it here. And it's beautiful. And things are in blue. <laughs> and I just thought, this is where I live now. This is my new home. So that's a favorite. 
Cue um, up the magic song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some, there's some other ones that I really love. I mean, anything along the Mirror Lake Highway is great. My pick of the litter is Butterfly Lake Campground. Again, there's a lot of traffic up there, and you can camp out of a regular campground, but that's kind of a neat all-American kind of place. And Mirror Lake, that's up in the Uintas, right? Yeah, okay. so just east of, yeah, start a Camas and, and head east on Mirror Lake Highway. Yeah, actually, if you go west... Um, Clover Spring Campground. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's another old Triple C site. It's, oh, you mean you don't know where Clover Spring, Utah, Clover, Utah is? No. Oh, it's near Rush, the Rush Valley, clearly. Where's Rush Valley? (laughs) Yeah, if you go, (laughs) yeah, if you go, um, so if you know where, if you know where Vernon is in the old Pony Express, it's like one canyon north of there in the Onakai Mountains. Right? Where is exactly. Vernon? If you look up, so anybody listening, if you want to look up Terra, T-E-R-R-A, Terra, Utah, it's a real place, I promise. And the population has got to be just like less than a thousand, and I would guess somewhere on the bottom end of less than a thousand, like maybe a couple hundred, maybe less than a hundred. But Depending it's just, on the births and deaths. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those towns where yeah. every time a baby is born, a man leaves town, so the population never changes. <laughs> No, it's a neat place, but it's just, it's out there. It's by the old Lincoln Highway. So if you go just east of that, back over the mountain, it's an old triple, triple C site. And um, there's an equestrian part of the campground as well, but it's it's just a few campsites and then a group site uh, on the like southeast side of it. And it's not hugely utilized, but there is a little uh, spring there and the water comes up and you just listen to that at night. And it's mostly wide open. Um, so I wouldn't recommend it like in the heat of July and August, but it's, it opens up super early in the spring because the elevation, because you're sort of shooting out toward the desert and it's pretty special. And that's how far away from Salt Lake? I was just trying to Google it. Uh, I don't know. Punch in Terra and take off about 10 minutes. <laughs> I would say like, uh, less than an hour, maybe just oh, right around an hour. How is that so close? I and mean, we, none of us have heard I never heard. Sorry, anybody yeah. who lives there. I'm sure you're great. Yeah. It's like, if you're going out to Dugway, basically, so you get to Clover Springs, you go up over the pass and you come down to Terra and then you keep going and there's Simpson Springs and the old Simpson Springs Pony Express station. And then you keep going out past that. And what's an old C campground? Did you guys know what an old C is? Oh, the triple, triple C. Tree, yeah. yeah, Civilian Conservation Corps. This was a uh, back in the Great Depression when they were trying to get people to work. And so they funneled a ton of money into a lot of outdoors projects. And that's when a lot of the national parks had trails built. And, and they, they just wanted to get a lot of people to work. And so the government spent a lot of money. It was called the Civilian Conservation Corps. Oh. So there was yeah, a lot of improvements. I'm telling you right on on Clover because I sometimes get that confused. Like if you go to Vernon, then go on the old Pony Express, maybe that's, I think maybe that's where you get to Simpson Springs. So that might be different than the road to Clover Springs. I don't have a map in front of me, but, but um, yeah, you could Terra if you go to Terra. Yeah, I'm just like it. trying to. It's the. It doesn't just pop up. Oh, it was. It's hour and a half away from Salt Lake. Terra is. Mm-hmm. Still though, that's. Um, if I have any other recommendations, probably, I mentioned some already, Moonflower is amazing, but it's only a group site now. So grab your friends, come with us camping. Yeah, Uwa is incredible. I like Red Cliffs Campground just outside of Leeds. You get off the exit for Silver Reef and Leeds, drive parallel to the freeway, drive underneath the freeway, and then it's this like really cool 
camp campground up on the up against Dixie Red Cliffs Natural Reserve, I think is what they call it. But honestly, there's 50 in the book. You can't go wrong. And then there's hundreds more, and they're all good. Is there any mention of like cool hikes along with these? Or no? Yeah, we. So I got about. They gave me like 800 words. For each chapter. And sometimes the story was, yeah, there's hikes. Sometimes the story was, here's the fishing situation. So Forks of Huntington Campground. You know, it, the, the the Forest Service had some problems with that particular campground because there was a fire and it kind of wiped things out. But they've been doing some restoration. But that campground's really, uh, you know, that one's all about fishing because you're right at the, the forks of the, the different Huntington branches of the Huntington River. And so there is a hike that goes over the river, but we talk mostly about, you know, fishing that goes on there. And other times it's, you know, history. Um, so I'd say most, because I'm a hiker, I included that in most chapters. But yeah, we try to give a feel for here's what here's what to do while you're there. Here's how to make the most out of this particular campground. Nearby attractions, things like that. Do you accept comments or suggestions from our listeners of things that they've experienced that they like that you would want to add into your third edition? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of the stuff um, that that made into second edition um, came from uh, recommendations, either things that were on uh, online or like emails that I'd received or Amazon reviews. So I'm always open. I'm always open. If anybody has hot tips, hot takes on the Utah outdoors, yeah, I'm your guy. <laughs> And how do people contact you and how do they get the book? The book, probably easiest these days is uh, Amazon. I don't I don't have a list for 2019 of who's carrying it. I know in the past, Barnes & Noble and REI and like a lot of the major, you know, either booksellers or retailers. But Amazon for sure is always going to have it. Um, my publisher is Menasha Ridge Press. You could always get in touch with Menasha Ridge and see where it is near you. Because um, I think in Utah, you know, some of the outdoors stores sell it and some of the like travel places and in small towns but um yeah if you're out of state you know dial it up online i'm sure you can find it and if you want to get a hold of me uh gosh what's the best way you can email me jeffrey d stedman at gmail.com uh i'm on instagram and i post a lot of my photos from my trips and things on instagram so it's just at jeffrey stedman that's j-e-f-f-r-e-y stedman is s-t-e-a-d-m-a-n very creative handle i know (laughs) uh but i love talking to people about the outdoors there and and people invite me on trips on instagram and i invite other people to come hiking on instagram so like yeah why don't we meet up and go hiking together Thanks so much for talking to us today, Jeffrey. Um, We hope everyone goes out and investigates this book, Best Tent Camping, colon, Utah. Thanks for listening, Utah. Stay awesome. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsor, WaziTech, Utah's premier IT support company. They will help you with any of your IT needs. Go to www.wazitech.com. That's W-A-Z-I-T-E-C-H.com. The beehive state, we're here to tell you why it is great. From Lake Powell up to Bear Lake, our scenery just can't fake. Our number of counties is 29 all with plenty of places you can die the 
This western state is quite the hub to learn more. Join with us at the Utah Fan Club. Mm-hmm.